Welcome to another In the Telling on the Street interview. I am at the Utah Arts Festival looking for artists and storytellers and creatives from all over the Wasatch Front. Okay, I'm here in a gorgeous art booth at the Utah Arts Festival with artist Jake Buncher, who is the artist behind Mr. Popper, a 3D mixed media metal artist. Talk to me about what you've got here. Sculpted? Do I, do I call it sculpted when it's like this? Yeah, so it's assemblage or sculpted. Um, so essentially what I use is things that are no longer used for their initial purpose. So objects that are lost, forgotten. So I find most of my materials are like antique shops, estate sales, uh, flea markets in California, stuff like that. Um, and really just about anywhere. Um, I take those objects and I put them together to create, you know, some sort of, well, a story and and uh, a narrative that is both broad in the characters that I make, but also each kind of represents a individual part of my story. So, I like that you refer to the, that you make characters. Um, for me, the the guy I've got over here. I mean, he's. Yeah humanoid in shape, right? So I definitely can see like a person in that, but how, how does everything you have make a character? So I think um, the older I got, the more I realized that the human narrative is a story. Um, it's a story that we tell each other, whether it's religion, whether it's cultural, whatever, it's a, it's a, a giant story and it's just a story. And so a lot of times we bind ourselves with that narrative because we believe that's what we have to do and that's what we're being told to do. Um, so when I started making work, um, I found myself in a place at the time, when, as I started, where I needed to re-understand my narrative in that story. And so I, a lot of my work has symbols and things that are, are maybe tied to, to another, you know, a religion or, or culture. And I, I'm not mocking them. I, I just simply incorporate those and reclaim symbolism for myself. Um, so, as far as like me creating characters and creating things, they're essentially just my my journey in understanding and work, reworking why they were initially important to the human narrative, and then how they are important to me or not important, and then reclaiming that, you know, and, and making it mine. Talk, talk me through a piece um, and what symbols there, maybe where they came from and, and how they're yours and what you're saying. So, uh, we'll take the, the lady over in the dome. Um, she's, uh, I found that piece, the, the Mary, the, the sculpture, I found her at a thrift shop. She was very plain and simple. It looked like someone had just made a, a million of them and, you know, sent them out. And so when I found her, uh, it was obviously some sort of religious symbol for for Mary, and but what I loved about it was her stance and um, softness, but the firmness of her back and her hands, and so that drew me in. So I I, I bought it and put it on my shelf. And when this piece piece came about, um, I felt like I needed where I went with it was it's less about it being a religious symbol for me and it's a lot more about it being the courage in being humble and thankful and grateful and that 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 aspect being 
the religious prayer is ne not necessarily always to a higher being that getting on your knees and being humble and quiet and patient is more about finding yourself and finding yourself in that moment and looking and slowing down and saying okay what do I really need right now like what am I seeking is it, is it to be pacified is it to be strengthened or is it to be educated and then looking within myself understanding that so I thought that piece really captured that for me so so yeah how long have you been creating um well I think uh two three years in my life at age three I was really creative till about age 12 um and then you know I think as I hit teenage years I put all that stuff away and I wrestled with just being alive and in high school and junior high and all that and then I kind of moved past that and I wasn't very I was just trying to uh kind of check off the boxes of life you know get married uh get a job you know make myself successful but at age 28 um I went oh this is not I don't feel right about this this doesn't feel right uh I was really gray and really numb and it was at that point that my life shifted and I started uh, winding down and, and unplugging from all the different things that I was doing just because I was told to do and I found art at that point and started creating stories that essentially I was just trying to understand what I was going through and survive and art was the best way to walk through that process for me. So, um, You have a studio. I, uh, I lost the name of it. The Boxcar Studios. Boxcar Studios, yeah. So Provo, about 10 years ago, I moved to Provo, and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Um, but I, I began to found, find people uh, there that were really fascinating to me, and, and uh, people who had to really work to figure out who they are. Uh, people like Corey Fox, who owns the Valor. Um, I could name a bunch, but... Something I became really enthralled with Provo and I, I, I began to kind of build a life there and so uh, I wanted to be able to create a space that was for artists. Um, so the Boxcar Studios is a, a building I got. Um, I created seven artist studios. There's a coffee shop there, there's a tattoo shop there, there's a gallery, um, there's event space, um, workshops and wood shops and I kind of created that in hopes of building a community. Um, I believe Provo is unique um, uh, in the real sense of unique. It's it's very peculiar and it's strange, but it also breeds uh, some really, really fascinating stories. So, yeah. Thanks so much for sitting down and talking of with course, me, Jake. Of course, of course. Okay, I'm here with travel photographer Randy Lobb of Photoissimo Fine Art Photography, and it looks like most of these pictures, if not all of them, are European and some German, but where else? Italy, a lot of Italy. Also, Netherlands, Belgium, Denmark, France, England. Why Europe? Um, I've always been fascinated about being there. Um, I've gone many times. I started photographing professionally because I used to work in the travel industry, owned a travel agency, and I always had a camera with me anyway, so I was taking photographs of Italy when I was there for these travel conferences, and then it just went from there. How did you, how did that happen that you were taking photos? I assume for yourself, yes. and then um, and then realized that that there should be more to that. Um, I was at a local coffee shop here in Salt Lake City one day, and the owner of the coffee shop saw me looking at my images on my laptop, 
and fell in love with them and asked me on the spot to exhibit them in her coffee shop and then it just went from there. Did that just make you feel like a million bucks? Yeah, well, you bet it did. <laughs> you bet it did. Great. Yeah. So how long have you been um, taking photos then as a business? Nine years. Great. What's um, what's your favorite photo you have up here? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it's like maybe trying to ask someone who has more than one child who their favorite kid is, right? Can I, maybe I can narrow it down? Yeah, if, um, yeah why don't you narrow it down? black and white photo? Because there's not a that, that I have up here up currently. That, yeah, that I can see. Okay, the favorite one that I have up here right now, I would have to say is this one I took last year in Amsterdam. Ooh, why do you like that one so much? Uh, just the way it looks. It's almost, because it's actually an actual photograph. Obviously, I printed it in black and white. Um, it was a gray day anyway, but it just, it almost looks like a painting to me the way it turned out. But I don't manipulate or Photoshop any of my work. It's all done with the camera. I just love the effect it, that it, how it turned out. It, um, everything you have is a very clear, image to mm -hmm. me but mm -hmm. there's something about that maybe partly because of the part of Amsterdam it is I mean that mm -hmm. bridge you can see all like the barnacles and everything mm -hmm. like that. exactly it looks like an old photograph exactly but with that's, better mm -hmm. clarity uh -huh. exactly so it's it's just one of it's one of the more unique black and whites probably the most unique black and white one I've done what do you think taking a picture of a foreign location tells as a story to people who haven't been there that have not been there? Or, or maybe then also well, who have. Well, for those who have not, I think it gives them a better idea of what it's really like there, especially since with my images, it's really how it looks. And so it will look, when they get there, maybe, you know, fairly close to, you know, unless something changes in the interim, of how it really looks over there, rather than uh, a picture that's been changed a lot or so that it really doesn't look like reality over there. And then the people who have been there already, it brings, most time people say they're just reminiscing about great trips, experiences they've had. So yeah, it uh, brings back a lot of good memories for a lot of my customers. Does it still do that for you, even though you've taken a lot of photos and traveled a oh, lot yeah. of places? Oh yeah, yeah, especially when you, when you actually take the time and think about when I was taking a particular image. Oh yeah, for sure. So tell me about one of the photos because of its story, maybe then instead of the photo, which which one brings back a story that you currently love thinking about? Brings back a story. Um, most of them bring back stories because I'm usually just wandering around my, wherever I am and just um, happen upon images. So it's not so much an event or anything. Um, but for example, this one here with this laundry hanging uh, against a white wall, it's in Southern Italy, a small uh, city called Barobello. Um, it was just an amazing find. I was just walking around with a group of friends and saw this image there and it was almost too good to be true. I, it wasn't staged or anything, it was just happened I came upon. Um, and then down the street I saw an uh, old Italian grandma knitting in front of her home that looked just like that. It was just, that's maybe a good example. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'm here with William Huff of William Huff Photography, and what I'm looking at are a lot of pictures I recognize as the places around Utah, some other places as well, but they have really luxurious color. They're they're gorgeous. They're well, way thank more. thank you. Yeah, I love them. It's, and I know I know that has to come somewhat from lighting. It is. I spend half my time planning locations, and the other half watching the weather just to make sure that we get the clouds and the colors that I want. How did you end up with rainbow arch with a rainbow in the background? <laughs> that is so uh, amazing. I was actually thinking about just turning around and going to a different place because there was too many clouds, but you never know what's going to happen because the sun just broke through at the last minute and then made a rainbow and got some good sunset light. 
Do you mostly shoot at sunset? Mostly. If I can get up early enough, then I'll do some sunrises. What are some of these places that aren't Utah? I've got uh, some New Zealand shots that I did on a two-week camping trip uh, in March, and then I've got a few northern Arizona. All of these places, except for downtown Salt Lake, the skyline over there, they all are... They all look completely isolated and not touched by humans. I mean, I know, obviously, Rainbow Arch is well-trafficked by hikers. But there was probably 30 people around me when I was taking that one, so... Yeah. You didn't get any of them in the shot, though, and it looks just um, pristine Half of photography is uh, what you exclude versus what you include, so... Oh, that sounds really profound to me. <laughs> I'm new to the snapping things with pictures, so oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> so tell me, how, how do these locations... In, in your photographs, how do they tell a story or what is it about a sense of place that you're communicating? Well, a lot of these are in sandstone and desert areas that uh, are change, constantly changing over time through erosion or wind. And uh, when you go one time, you can go another and just see completely different things like the subway shot. Uh, I've got the shot there with some nice blue water and the, the walls are nice and red, but I went back a few years later, different time, different season more browns and yellows versus the reds, so just kind of documents a place in time. How do you, do you, is there anything, I don't know, autobiographical about what you're shooting? Do, is there any part of you that's coming through these images that if I knew you better I might be able to pick out, but but is there nonetheless? Uh, I guess the vibrancy, the, I'm always looking for the best light, and usually that light's only there for a few minutes, and uh, I just get a feeling, like a tingle, when I see something that's like a, just a great scene, great light, and it all comes together. And I don't know, hopefully people kind of get a sense of that once they're looking at these images. How long have you been taking pictures? For 13 years now. What made you start? I got a degree in graphic design and uh, found out that I had to get a camera to do some projects, and I just enjoyed taking pictures more than I enjoyed the graphic design part, so switched to that. Cool. Any other pieces of photography brilliance you want to lay on me, like that exclusion one, what you exclude? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, timing is everything, I think. Just being at the right place at the right time. It's for landscape pictures, weather is so important. Uh, and also kind of having the image visualized in your head, what you want, and then kind of seeking that out in, in the wild, or um, just having an idea of like, what good compositional elements are. Just bring them together. William Huff Photography, how do we find you online? WillHuff.net or William Huff Photo on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking yeah. with me. Thanks for stopping by. All right. I'm here with Mike Beals, and he is a bell maker of beautiful, tall, ornate, richly colored bells here at the Utah Arts Festival. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be part of the podcast. I'm really excited about the Utah Arts Festival. I believe that this is my 10th year here in Utah, and what I've brought uh, for this particular event is uh, part of my soul. It, you know, I start. Uh, I studied my uh, craft in Germany uh, many years ago uh, in Wiesbaden, Germany, um, under a fourth-generation blacksmith, and I lived in Japan at the same time. So it's a real inspiration to bring these elements together. Uh, I've been an artist for about 20. 20 years and uh, I started with uh, ceramics and then migrated into glass, blowing glass, and I've incorporated 
all of these elements into my current art. So one of the uh, the bells themselves are all handcrafted uh, out of steel, and it's a process called drip welding, um, and it's very very unique. And uh, I uh, have a saying that goes along uh, with me for the last ten years, and that is that you ring the bell in the morning as an appreciation of the day, and you ring the bell in the evening as a thank you for the day, and you never forget it's all about the journey. And so I bring, you know, half of my uh, enjoyment is just seeing the, the smiles and the, you know, appreciation from customers that come by and see my work. And uh, that's what drives me. I've got about 50 galleries nationwide uh, that can't handle my work. And I do a, a lot of uh, commissional work. So um, I invite everybody to come out and see it. Would you ring some of your bells for me? Surely. Okay, so... We can go. You ready? What do we What do we call this thing in your hand? I bet it has a special it, name, but in my brain, it's the thing that rings the bell. <laughs> it's. You can call it a striker. Or you can call it a donger. Okay, I think I'm gonna call it a, a donger. <laughs> I like that. one's going to sound a, a, a little bit different because after I cast them uh, out of steel, I, I put those on a metal lathe. And the metal lathe allows me to extract uh, a small amount of material from the interior wall. And that could be down to 0.05 micron, about the size of a human hair. And you'll get a rich sound. percussion will continue to radiate inside for about three to five minutes. The patina, uh, although you can't see it on the podcast, the patina is is uh, translucent. And patina, you're touching the outside of it, so is that like a? Is that why it's shiny? Yes, the color, the coloring of it. Okay. And and I've designed this. Uh, the resin that I developed was with a chemist, and I did that specifically to be environmentally friendly, but also to stand the test of time. Uh, I can have any of my work in the harsh suns, the desert, uh, the snow, and it'll never patina or rust or change color. So they're, they're, they're good for the inside of the home, and they're beautiful for the outside of the home. And one of the real um, tributes to the work is if you can take a solar spot at night and set it down and it comes on in the nighttime when you're out on your patio it just brings a whole new element to your outdoors mike these bells are so beautiful thank you so all the designs you see here are done by my technique of drawing with liquid steel and you'll see that the sounds change that I blow, um, I, I incorporate glass um, into all of my work and it's, it's specifically uh, positioned to prism. So if incandescent light is behind my work uh, or just natural light, you'll get attributes of that color of glass priseming out. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, the glass looks, um, it reminds me of like crystal. Correct. The way that, yeah, you've formed it. Yeah, and each one, um, my signature is um, on each one of my pieces, and I only make one of one. And so they're very collectible now over the last 10 years. 
Your signature must be pretty unobtrusive. Is it that symbol right there? Yeah, well this dot right here, the first dot is me, and the dot right behind me is my wife, and then the line is the journey we're on. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. And all of the um, detailing in the artwork seems to be nature-based. It is nature-based. I'm really uh, a fan of trees and, and wildlife and just raw nature. So I spend, actually my studio is above Zion National Park in southern Utah. So that's quite an inspiration every morning when I get up and I walk out to my studio. It gives me, uh, it gives me the uh, uh, inspiration to work all day and all night at times, you know. Thank you so much, Mike, for chatting with Thank me. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming by. And I, all, the, all the listeners out there, support your local artists because these hardworking people, uh, you know, are dedicated to the arts. And uh, there are pieces uh, that artists have each year that you'll never find anywhere else but this, this event. So true. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much.